0: Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast designed to help you become the advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and today Steve and I are thrilled to be speaking to Bill Cates. Now, Bill was the first guest on this podcast, but we wanted to get him back to talk about his new book, Radical Relevance, and all of the insights that he shares in that book, Bill, as you probably know, is the founder of Referral Coach International and has really built his career around working with organizations and individuals who want to grow through word-of-mouth marketing, through referrals, and through personal introductions. So we talked to Bill about the concept of radical relevance, what it means, and the importance of your messaging when it comes to driving referrals. In the book, he actually shares 17 rules of radical relevance. We didn't have time for all of those, but we do go into a few of the big ones in our discussion, including ideas and tactics to to really understand and communicate the problems that you solve and the role of client experience in driving more referrals. And with that, let's get straight to the conversation with Bill. Well, Bill Cates, welcome to the Becoming Referable podcast. This is the second yep. time you've been with exactly.
1: us. Exactly. Yeah, Bill, I, I don't know, Julie, I don't know if we ever told Bill, but he was the first guest on our podcast. I, I'm pretty sure, you, Bill, you would not have agreed to be our premier guest. So we didn't tell you, but you were our, <laughs> our very first guest, and we're very excited to have you back. I believe well, we called
0: him a guinea pig at that time. But <laughs> not
1: him. on the I air, didn't but didn't yes. <laughs> you know, and, and you know about the guinea pig thing. In Peru, they actually eat guinea pigs. Oh, dear.
0: Oh, well, this just took an ugly turn.
1: (laughs) There there will be no cannibalism on this episode. No, no, no no marketing consultants were harmed in the production of this podcast.
2: (laughs) Well, I I did not eat a guinea pig, although my fiance did. And there's not much meat to it.
1: We don't want to know. But unlike that, there's happen. going to be a lot of meat in this episode. <laughs> so let's get right to it. Yes. So yes, look, yes.
0: I am excited. We really wanted to talk to you now, uh, although we love to talk to you anytime because of your new book. So I was excited to see that. Yeah,
1: congratulations. Yeah, Radical
0: mm-hmm. Relevance, which is an awesome name, by the way. Thank and, you. and maybe the best place for us to start is there. Um, what do you actually mean by radical relevance?
2: Well, what I mean by that is most people particularly in this industry tend to try to increase the size of their tent a little bit, they expand and then their messaging gets weaker and weaker and what I'm all about is targeting targeting. So, uh, picture a target, you know, with the concentric rings on it. The target represents a market, a target market, so it's something we definitely should talk about and then then narrowing into the bullseye. The bullseye is what I call a right fit client and who they were meant to serve and who was meant to be served by you. and, And they appreciate your value for all the right reasons. And so it's about how we craft our messaging in a way that attracts the right people to our business and repels. I know it's a strong word, but it's the best one I can think of that repels the people that aren't a good fit, right? The people that aren't a good fit. Well, our message doesn't resonate with them. And so then, we're working with the right people all the time, and, and that's really what I mean by radical relevance.
1: And 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 ju- sorry, Julie, if I could jump in. Um, in terms of that relevance, I mean, a lot of people know you for your uh, for your books about getting referrals. But I, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what I learned from this book, your uh, your book on uh, strawberry recipes.
2: <laughs> well, <I'll, laughs>
1: uh, I, I don't want to bore people too much
2: with that. <laughs> It is a story I tell in the book and how I learned uh, a long time ago when I had a book publishing company of having the right product in the right place at the right time for the right people, right? And, and essentially, I used to publish cookbooks uh, that I distributed through Pick Your Own Strawberry Farms and Apple Farms. And I was selling like 80,000 books a year because it was just a, a relevant book at the right place. And people just picked all these strawberries and apples and they wanted to know what to do with these suckers. And. Um, and then I started focusing on other types of books and yeah, that's what I learned, the principles of direct marketing and, uh, and, and messaging and all that sort of stuff. So that's, that's the strawberry thing. It's a, hopefully you enjoyed the story and,
1: uh, and I tried to turn it into a teaching tool throughout the book. It's a great example of being relevant, you know, that being relevant to the audience and being relevant to the, to the time of year because it's a short season. So I, I thought that was a really good illustration of, of the kind of relevance you're talking about in here. Right. Right,
0: and and so I wanted to, yeah. Now it's all mine. That's fine. Beyond the strawberries and the guinea pigs, um, I, I really wanted to dig in um, to some of the specifics. Now, this, the very subtitle of your book just starts with this phrase: "Sharpen your marketing message." is just by way of definition, is that the same as your value prop or your elevator pitch? What exactly do you mean by that? And then I know you've got a model to help advisors down this path.
2: Yeah. So I, I, I think a lot of people confuse, in my mind at least, they confuse uh, value proposition with elevator pitch, with unique selling proposition, et cetera. So and the way I see it is a value proposition is all the value that we bring to our prospects, clients, centers of influence, throughout the entire client journey, right? through the the courtship as a prospect, to the onboarding process, to the uh, client engagement, as you guys talk about so well, uh, that um, that's the value proposition. And then the elevator pitch or the value positioning statement, that that's a subset that reflects the value proposition. So, what I one of the things I help our clients with is actually determining that full value proposition to begin with. What what are all the points of value? It's a great exercise for the firm because everyone then gets in line with the value they bring and 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 how to then start articulating that value when they're out and about and it's, it becomes a more uniform message. So, um, I, I tend not to like the word ele- term elevator pitch only because the way it's been taught in the past is. quite often very trite and and overly creative. And here's one thing we know about the brain. The brain craves clarity and simplicity. The brain's job is to keep the organism alive and reduce the amount of calories expended. And anytime we come to it with a confusing message or overly creative message, it it doesn't like it. And it, and it, it, it has to work harder and it doesn't want to do that. So it'll quite often just ignore it. And so that's why I call it a value positioning statement. It's the same basic idea, but we're, we're just being very clear. We're using terminology that's very clear and understandable uh, from our prospects. We're using words that they use, not the words that we like to use or we think are clever or fun or, or industry jargon, which a lot of folks are so close to it they don't even realize they're using indig- industry jargon, right? So first thing we like to do is figure out what is the full value proposition that you bring, and then, then what is the message we want to Craft uh, that goes on the website, that goes in an email, that you say in front of a group, that you say on, you know, whatever the circumstance might be. So hopefully, that makes sense. Yeah,
0: and is there a is there a process that an advisor goes through to figure that out, or maybe you can even just give us an example of of how, what that might sound like?
2: Uh, when meaning getting the full value proposition, or how to talk about the value?
0: How to talk about the value? Oh, okay,
2: yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I have a very simple formula and it accomplishes a lot very quickly and sometimes we have to be very quick and then sometimes we have more time. Uh, but if it, it depends on where we're delivering the message and really the, 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 message that we deliver will usually have different lengths because it depends on where we're doing it. Right. But if, you know, if someone says, what do you do? Or if you have to introduce yourself by telling people what you do, be it in an email uh, being in, in your headline in your LinkedIn profile, Uh, and the formula goes a little like this. Uh, the first step is my expertise is in, I don't recommend starting off by saying I'm a financial advisor, I'm a financial planner or any other term like that, because you don't know how people are going to react to that. It it feeds into any preconceived notions that they may have. And so I believe that financial advisors are experts or have expertise in some compliance departments won't allow you to call yourself an expert unless you have very specific credentialing. Um, So expertise displays confidence. And then the next step is I work with, or we work with if you're selling more of a team approach. And so what that does is qualifies and demonstrates your target market. Um, And then I'll give you the whole thing in a second, you know, who want to, well, whatever your ideal clients want, whatever the people you're trying to attract want uh, is the benefit you bring the benefit you deliver. And so It's very easy to incorporate the benefit that way. And then I have the next, the final step is a value in action, which is really a for example. It it elaborates a little bit on what you said. So let me give you uh, one very specific example with a a coaching client I'm working with. And when I was talking to Vince, he really, he gets excited about entrepreneurs. He gets excited about uh, fast-paced entrepreneurs and and the energy they generate. And he knows they make good money and he knows they want to focus their time on making money and then have someone else handle the money, if you will. And so this is what we came up with and he's tweaking it, but it's roughly this, you know, I specialize in financial planning for fast paced owners and entrepreneurs, very clear kind of defines the market already. Uh, so I work with successful business owners who want to focus on what they do the best running their business and making money. Now you could say, and leaving, you know, the, the rest to, to another professional, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the value in action is I'm like a financial quarterback for my client. I put the right team in place to make sure they have all the right insurance in place, a benefits package that helps them retain their best employees, da, da, da. And that's a little dry. I'd like them to have a little more of a specific story. Like for example, I was with a client yesterday and here was their situation. Here's what we were able to do to them. Do, not do to them, do with them, <laughs> uh, Freudian slip perhaps. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's a very simple way to, to, to put, a, it puts a lot of information in a very succinct uh, way, to, way to talk about it. And now you can elaborate, you can go further in social s- settings, you, you, you do something a little bit different. Um, but I, I'll give you an example of where this kind of formula could be used. So, you know, in the LinkedIn profile, most people put, you know, their name and their credentials, CFP, whatever, and then they'll say, you know, founder of XYZ Financial or president of. And I know compliance has a role in all this, but what if it would be better if they said, you know, helping fast paced business owners do what they best, do what they do best, running their business and helping them maximize their investments or something like that. Right. So now that little headline Actually, here's who we work with and here's what we do, all in a sentence right on the LinkedIn profile rather than something dry that means nothing to nobody.
0: And so I I love that example because it makes it really easy to work with. Um, (laughs) Can you also connect the dots for us between what you're just talking about. And in fact, all of the work that's, that's um, uh, within this book and mm-hmm. what we, we've known you for, for many years, which is really helping people generate more referrals. Is this work that you're talking about now an extension of that? Does it make it easier in some way?
2: Yeah. So, so um, let me give you a quick evolution and I think that'll answer the question and perhaps uh, uh, be helpful to everyone listening. So first of all, when I first started in this business 25 years ago, most of the time I was hired to do workshops and speeches on on how to ask for referrals, right? How to do it without being needy, without being pushy or aggressive, or all that, right? And then I learned very quickly that that some people were struggling because guess what? They weren't referable, right? They they weren't they haven't become referable yet. Oh, she should do so, a podcast on that. Yes, you should. Yeah, and you do, and you do a great one. And. <laughs> So that's when the whole client engagement thing started to take root. And then I learned about your research and now I quote you guys all the time. And um, and so we have to become referable. And then, of course, the do not call regulations come in play and then all the different ways that it's just so hard to reach people these days. And so my book, Beyond Referrals, talks about referrals, but actually then makes the case for not just referrals, but introductions. We have to get connected. So one tip for anybody listening listen right now is when you're with a prospect, client, center of influence, and you're talking about this idea of referrals slash introductions, use the word introduction. How would you like to introduce me to Laura? Let's talk about how you introduce me to George, because you really want to get connected. But then I was doing research for a, a, a company get to deliver a speech at their annual event. And so I interviewed some of the top producers, and I asked them about what do you say when you get introduced or referred to a prospect? And I got to tell you guys, in, in most cases, they're the way they talked about their value was, was very old school, very lame. You know, I'd love to take you to a cup of coffee and talk about the work I do. And I'm like, who's got time for that anymore? And But what happened is if they got a great referral, a great introduction, I should say, uh, and there's high trust there, that will carry you through a weak value proposition, sometimes all the way through to gaining the new client. But if it's not super high trust introduction or a great introduction, somewhere along the line, that value, that borrowed trust starts to wane. And you better have a great way of talking about your value uh, or you're going to have prospects that seem to be interested go missing in action. All of a sudden, someone you had this great conversation with, they're not returning your emails or phone calls anymore. So that's where I realized the next step for me was to talk about the value proposition and how we become relevant and compelling to people to attract their attention and the fastest straightest line to relevance with anybody the fastest way to cut through all the noise in the marketplace and all the knee-jerk reactions that we get is to be introduced by someone they really trust and so there's a total parallel here of of all these messages that have come together for us
0: I love this point about the fact that, you, you know, a high, high trust situation can, can get you through because I do think that we get fooled into believing that certain things are working. So, you know, might mm-hmm. say, well, I get X number of referrals a year and I don't ask anyone. Well, maybe they were always going to refer, but we're, you know, there's a bigger opportunity. So, um, you know, really stepping back and looking at it a little more analytically, I think is, is, is really important. Yeah. Um, and you're kind of, you're sort of leading us into the down this path of, of growing the business. So we've got the, the important messaging, which we do want to come back to, but mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a couple of challenges that you point out in the book that relate to attracting and winning new clients. Can you talk to us about those before we even dig in further?
2: Yeah. So the, the two main challenges are are, are, are this the first one is the, the marketing message overload that everybody's experiencing. And <clears throat> And I, you know, I have a chapter in the book on the neuroscience of relevance, and I had a great time uh, studying the brain. It actually, hurt my brain, but uh, <laughs> trying to figure out how the brain works and how that will help us in crafting messaging uh, that will attract the right people. And so, the brain is scanning six times a second. That's pretty fast. Am I safe? Where am I? What are my surroundings? Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And three times a second, is there an opportunity? And the brain loves an opportunity. The brain loves to take action, but only when it feels safe. And so another parallel way to think about this is with this barrage of information that's coming at everybody, that's coming at your prospects, is, is this relevant? Is this not relevant? Do I pay attention to this? Do I want to spend energy on this? Or do I want to move on and look for some other opportunity? And so that's why our message has to be totally relevant to cut through all that. Marketing message overload, and we have to be continually relevant throughout. I mean, how many times has anyone on this podcast had someone approach them selling a product or service, have no clue who we are, what we do, right? They think they got the answer to, to you know, the to, to cure for cancer for any business, and they don't even know who we are. And so they're not relevant. It doesn't cut to the, the marketing message overload. We ignore them, right? If you're not relevant, you're ignored. So that's one of the biggest challenges the book, book tries to tackle. And, and the other one is actually moving people to take action because it's, it's one thing to get in and get their attention. But what are you ultimately trying to do? Well, you're trying to get your email returned. You're trying to get your voicemail returned. You're trying to get them to set the second appointment or third appointment or, you know, do a plan or whatever it is. So whatever that action is you desire. And the challenge we face is inertia, right? A body in motion tends to stay in motion. A body at rest tends to remain at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. So there are some people that are doing nothing. They're stuck doing nothing. They're ignoring what they need to do. And there are other people that are moving in a certain direction. Uh, maybe it's the right direction for them. Maybe it isn't, but they haven't ever stopped to look and see if there's another way to, to move. And so how do we become that outside force to get them to notice us and then to look at a different way to behave and take action? So those are the two big challenges that the book was, uh, was written to address.
0: So how do we become that outside force? (laughs) (laughs) Because I'll take notes on that.
2: (laughs) Well, and and it's not always easy, and I don't have a simple answer, and and it's going to vary a lot. But first of all, having the most relevant possible message you can uh, will make a big difference. So obviously getting introduced becomes kind of an outside force. You get inserted into their, their life by an introduction from someone else they already trust. You have an opening message. You have a way of talking about what you do, of asking questions that shows empathy. One of the big things that your prospects want from you is a sense of your knowingness about them, about their world. So when you target a niche market, whether it's employees in a large company, whether it's business owners as an industry, the things you say, the questions you ask demonstrate that knowingness. And so that, that starts to open the door a little bit to that. Now, sometimes we can go a little further, and we can even become that outside force by being a little counterintuitive or even a little controversial. You know, you got to be careful about that. And it's got to fit and all. But so, for instance, you know, Steve, uh, I believe you wrote a book, something like uh, Don't Ask for Referrals or Stop Asking for <laughs> Referrals. <laughs> yes, right? I did. Well, and 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 that's a counterintuitive way of gra- grabbing someone's intention. What do you mean stop? Right. Well, don't ask for right. referrals. Well, what, what should I do? And actually, in the book, you talk about referrals, okay, but you're trying to get our attention. You're trying to get us to think a little differently. Think in terms of introductions, right? Think in terms right, of, right. of earning the right to those things. And, and so sometimes that – so I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. Uh, there's one advisor that I've been coaching, and I didn't help him with this. He came up with this on his own. He says, I help my clients create indestructible wealth. <laughs> and it's like, Whoa. Now, what I like about that is it's creative enough to grab someone's attention. Like, oh, what's that? Right? I like that. But it's not so creative that the brain can't figure it out. So I had another coaching client that, until we started working together, used to tell people, oh, I'm a financial nutritionist. Oh, yeah. Right? And it's like, okay, what is that? You know, the brain doesn't know what that is. The brain doesn't want to spend energy on it. The brain moves on. So it's that balance between being counterintuitive
1: and creative, and and then being relevant. And, and then I, one, yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead. I, well, and that that's a really important point because you've pointed out, you know, earlier in this conversation. I think it's really important that, um, you know, if 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 you're if you're too clever then the brain won't recognize it as relevant and it'll discard it looking for the relevant stuff. It, how? And, and those are two really good examples of you know, where you're straddling the line on one side or the other. So how, how can an advisor um, sort of uh, figure out where that line is or how can they refine that so that they end up being attention-getting but without going right. so far that they lose relevance and, and people ignore them?
2: Yeah, a couple, a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, you're, the, the brain wants to get it. It's got to be clear. If it's confusing, uh, Donald Miller says, if you confuse, you lose. Right. So I I think of it this way. I think of a billboard. If you're driving down the highway and you see a billboard and you know, you see the message and then like 40 seconds later, you get what the message meant. Not a good message. Right. You got (laughs) to use use words that. So when seven up was introduced to the market, this is an old example, but years and years ago, there were no lemon lime sodas before there was cola. Coca Cola, Pepsi Cola, RC Cola, and so they had no, they got no traction because people didn't know what to do with it in the brain. And still, they until they started calling it the Uncola, and then when they started calling it the Uncola, people go, "Oh, I know cola, okay, Uncola, what is that?" And it just got the attention. It became that outside force that that kind of met enough and created curiosity. So we never want to, we never want to introduce concepts to the brain that the brain doesn't understand until we've introduced something the brain does get. So we always want to lead with things that the brain gets and understands. That's why we want to talk in language that our clients and prospects use, not what we necessarily use. So one of the things I recommend is advisors talk to their clients. We should never create marketing messaging uh, for whatever it is without talking to some clients about this. And, you know, here's what I say. To, to the client, wh- what does that mean to you? And how would you say that? And oh, what you know? And what value did you find from the work we're doing? Well, I found this, this. and your clients are going to give you the words, and they're going to give you these expressions, and you're going to come up with the right words that resonate with your target market immediately, without using jargon, without using clever things that confuse people. Uh, and then when you develop it and you start to write a few things up then run it by some other clients and you know is it clear run it by people who have no clue what you do is it clear do they get it if they don't then it, then you, you got to work you know you, you one of my ra- i have 17 radical rules of relevance and one of them is you always have give your clients a seat at the table never develop any of this without uh, uh, giving them a seat at the table giving them input letting, allowing them to have input on how you talk about what you do
0: so, uh, which is, I love that concept, obviously, I'm, in- <laughs> so, I'm with you, but um, you mentioned these 17 rules. Can you, uh, can you give us another few of the the top rules that you think are important?
2: Yeah, so the first one was, was the one I mentioned already, which is, the, you know, the, the straightest line, the shortest route to relevance is through an introduction. Number two is give your clients a seat at the table. Uh, value, number three is value is in the eye of the beholder. It's not your job to determine, it, I'm sorry, it is your job to determine and develop and communicate your value in a way that will resonate with prospects, right? So they, if they don't see the value, then you haven't done a good job communicating it, right? They're the ones who determine the value. And that's also a great great reason to, to check in with clients on a regular basis to make they sure they are seeing the value and, and then you can take some of that that they say and use that in your message. For instance, I had a guy Michael Schmitz, one of my clients out in San Mateo, California, said, Bill, you make asking for referrals as natural as breathing. They go, Whoa, that's pretty good, Michael. I never would have thought of saying that. And wow, that's what that's what our guy said. That, uh, great. Can I use that? Can I put your name? Oh, yeah, sure. Right. So we learn this from our clients. We get this stuff from our clients. Another word, another one, number six is differentiation for differentiation sake is sake is worthless. Right. The the goal of creating a differentiation in the market, they're talking about what's what makes you a little different. It's a worthless endeavor unless it's tied to a a real value to your clients, unless they see the benefit, they they see the usability of that difference. And (coughs) most people don't, don't do that. They talk about, well, I do this and I do that. And yeah, well, so what? So a bank I'm working with in new England, uh, they do just commercial lending. And uh, one of their, what they thought was a unique selling proposition was we're 127 years old. And I said, so what? What does that <laughs> right. mean? You're old dodgy? And that yeah. Way. Yeah. So it, it's, we got to translate that to a, a benefit. And most people don't,
1: they, they come up with fun differences, but.
2: It's not useful to the,
1: to well, the prospect yeah. of the client, and that, that's and that's such an important point. You know, as, as you've as you've pointed out before, with with the title of my book, you you and I have disagreed on on a couple of things, <clears throat> but I think that we're in total agreement on this whole relevance thing, and specifically with the differentiation that you know it's not just enough to be different; you need, you need to be different in a way that's important to the client. Um, yeah, but then, can I elaborate? On yeah, that? sure, sorry, please. You're... No, no, no. Go
2: ahead. Well, well so I see a lot of you know branding exercises going out there with advisors and you know someone's into fishing so he or she brands their you know website and everything around fishing and or whatever their you know horses or race cars and I'm not saying you can't do that and I'm not saying your personality shouldn't show, show through but that in and of itself isn't going to attract anybody to your business it might humanize you which is helps a little but you know, because you're into racing or fishing or horses or whatever it is, that's not really usable by your prospects and clients unless you can figure out how it is usable and make that differentiation. So, yeah, uh, you know, I don't know. That's well, and, and and
1: and it's certainly not. I mean, it might it might separate you from other people, but it's but it's not as strong as if you could directly link what you're differentiating on to something that relates to their wealth. So, if you can relate to them yeah that might <clears throat> like you're saying, they may help a little bit. But if you can relate to them in a way that relates to the advice that you want to give them, that that's even better. and but to drill into that a little bit further, you talk in the book about strategic relevance and tactical relevance. can you can you mm-hmm. distinguish between those two and tell us a little bit more about the role that each plays?
2: Yeah, so strategic relevance is essentially the big decisions. Like what is your target market? or do you even have a target market, and should you? And the answer is probably yes. Uh, you know, and then who, who is your right fit client? Who, who, who is the person you really want to serve and attract? Uh, how do you want to talk about your differentiation? What does differentiate? Those are kind of strategic decisions that we make. Uh, and we need to make those before we get very tactical because, you know, most people, unfortunately, if they're having a problem, they just go immediately to the tactics without, and without even realizing they might have a flawed strategy in the first place. Um, but then, then we need to get tactical. And tactical is really how we prepare to deliver our message to specific people. So you know, when we're sending an email to a prospect or wh- when we're doing a presentation in front of p- potential prospects or however we're communicating our value, which is in everything we do these days, um, what words do we choose? What research do we do before we reach out to them? So that's the kind of the tactical stuff. All, all geared... Towards having the right message for the right person at the right time, communicated in the right way, uh, all of that is 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 the work of, of tactical and and uh, uh, and uh, strategic relevance. So, the, like the what you do thing that we talked about earlier, that that falls in the category of tactical relevance. How you specifically talk about what you say in front of a specific person or group of people—that's so that's essentially the difference.
0: Can you? sort of breathe some life into all of this and maybe um, uh, just put the spotlight on some examples of companies yeah. that you've seen really exhibiting some of these, uh, these characteristics?
2: Yeah. And I'll tell you the, the, the one thing that really does need to be talked about, and these are the examples I'm going to give and how it's really helped these folks um, is making that decision to have a target market. Um, And, you know, it'll it'll vary depending on what your geography is, because if you have a smaller, you know, pool of folks to pull from, you can't be quite as narrow as if you're in a larger metropolitan area. But you can also develop a a national reputation and do work, uh, you know, long distance without even meeting people if you have that kind of reputation. So I'll give you three quick examples. Todd McDonald, extremely successful at Albany, New York. He he works with closely held family-owned heavy construction firms, right? His clients build roads, runways, bridges, large commercial buildings, and if you go to his website, the first thing you're going to see is heavy construction equipment. So he is showing, he is showing that he knows them. They see themselves in his website through the through the photographs that he uses. And he's going to start developing some videos uh, where he talks about some of the work he does in video form uh, actually at some of these work sites of his clients um, so they will identify with him and they will then they will see the kind of work he does for for the types of people say so he's developed a national reputation uh, in, in this industry and people come to him all the time and you know when i went to his website i kind of joked i said todd this is great because i i, you, I can immediately tell whether i fit or don't fit in your world, right? You're, you're attracting the right people and repelling the wrong people. It's perfect. But I kind of missed the clip art of that retired couple walking
0: <laughs> down. <laughs> uh, the beach with the writing on the sand?
2: Yeah, that's right. And, and so let me tell you about Adam. Uh, Adam is, is in Carmel, Indiana. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I got to I got to ask him. But he, he made recently uh, to go all in with optometrists. And so he helps optometrists gain clarity around their financial lives and, and, and financial future. And what he told me, and I'll, I'll read the ex- exact quote that he wrote to me, he says, since making the decision to go all in and exclusively serve optometrists, my only regret is not doing this five years ago. I've become more exclusive. Uh, I've become exclusive as I become exclusive. Sorry. opportunities have become greater and greater in both quality and quantity So his message is perfectly tailored for them. They see themselves in his message. It creates that empathy. Uh, And, of course, optometrists know other optometrists. Sometimes they're part of group practices, and it just has become very easy for him. The third example is uh, Russ Thornton out of Richmond. His company is called Wealth, Wealth Care for Women. And so even in his company title, you know what he does. And all of the verbiage on his website is are the words that his clients use, right? Um, and the challenges that they face in the way that they, they face those challenges. And, and he has his, his client-focused why right on his home page. Here's why this guy, Russ Thornton, is focusing on women and their issues. And it has to do with the fact his mom got divorced and she had some financial trouble. And he just has a lot of empathy for that world. And so when you target like that, your message is so much more powerful now, real quick, since I'm on websites, real quick, you may have more than one target market, and and, and that's fine. You can, especially if you're in a your smaller uh, group, uh, smaller geography, and, and and not one is, is wide enough, deep enough. Um, make sure on your website the first thing you do practically is to have them self-identify who they are: small business owner, or you know, CEO, executive, or woman in transition, or whatever they might be, and then they click that button, and then they go to the part of the website that is totally relevant for them. So you're not trying to hit, you know, f- three different types of people on one page with a message that just gets watered down and doesn't speak to them. So that gives you an idea of, 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 of people who are doing a great job with this sort of thing.
0: And so when you um, – when just to tie this to referral, So we've got this yeah. – powerful target, a clear target, which Mm -hmm. allows you to have this powerful message. Is that when you talk about having a message that's critically compelling, is that what you mean?
2: Well, a, a message that's compelling is a message that strikes the emotional component of all of this. And a couple of thoughts. First of all, Science has discovered, the work of Antonio Damasio, among others, using a technology called magnetic resonance imaging, say that three times fast, uh, has discovered that in in the part of the brain that feels emotion, if that part of the brain is damaged and that person can't feel emotion, they can't make a decision. And so no emotion, no decision. Now, a lot of advisors, very analytical, like to use statistics and all this, and I'm not saying we don't do any of that. Because the right statistic can actually create emotional response. At, At the bottom line, though, they make a decision that they trust you, they like you, it feels right. And that's a feeling. And so we've got to make sure that we touch on the emotional aspects of the work we do, the fears, the doubts. The brain's looking for fears and doubts and concerns about twice as much as they're looking for opportunities. So we start with what the brain's looking for. We make sure we they're not making the mistakes. We make sure that we're that we're speaking to their fears or concerns, and then we come in and we talk about the opportunities and, and the things that they might aspire to. Um, that's how we start to have a more compelling message. And then speaking to you know urgent, I, I tell you, I got this great this great model from a, a guy in Boston, Michael Scott. He's a venture capitalist and and, he, and he, he has this chart, it's it's in the book, that talks about, you know, are we focusing on the right problems? Because if a client has, let's say, if they have a an aspirational issue, something they really want to do that they'll get to someday, well, they won't usually spend a lot of time, energy, and resources on that. But if the problem is, is, is critical and blatant, and they know they have it, then they'll spend time and money. So, what we need to do, what, what advisors do quite often is educate prospects so that they see that what they thought was aspirational, you know, yeah, I'll get a financial plan one of these days or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll buy life insurance when I get around to it, whatever, right. That they demonstrate that, that what they, the, the prospect thought was aspirational is actually critical. In other words, what's the cost of not taking this action? And that can elevate an aspirational issue into a critical issue almost instantly, mm-hmm. and so we got to focus on the right problems and talk about the problems in the right way, and that will drive people through the decision process.
0: It's, it's such a great point. I, do, I think we make so many assumptions about the problem that our service you know solves, and and it it may or may not be right. So, I I mean, this is, it's, it's, I'm so thrilled that you wrote this book. It's, it's, it's important I think for this industry. And I just think every, everyone in this industry who's working with clients needs to, needs to read this. Um, We'll definitely include links, but Bill, how, you know, where do you recommend advisors go to learn more about, not only about the book, but the work that you do?
2: thank you well certainly the book amazon.com and and uh the paperbacks available there now and and uh uh probably by the time this podcast airs we'll have the the audio will be up and the kindle will be up as well um uh, but as far as me you know referralcoach.com referralcoach.com we have a lot of resources on the page which are complimentary it's a way in our world that we can serve you and if uh our message resonates with you, and you want to go a little further, and then we're happy to chat with you.
1: And and let me just add, Bill, the um, my compliments along with Julie's. I you know this I, I really enjoyed reading the book, and uh, and it all like every chapter, I was finding stuff that was this is great. I mean, I, I really wish I had written this book myself. So every every everybody everybody should read. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. Thank
2: you. You know,
1: I've read books like, uh, read books like that too,
2: and I go, darn, this is great. Exactly. (laughs) I I, I take that as a high compliment.
1: Thank you, bud.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thanks, Bill. Oh, you bet. My pleasure. Hey, folks. Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com, You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.